0: Hey folks, welcome to this week's episode of Interesting Stuff. The podcast is about nothing and really has no body. Uh, I already did one podcast and I went back and listened to it and it just jumped around too much. I didn't like it. So I'm deleting it and I'm re-recording it. Uh, I'm probably going to be a little bit late on my promised delivery time, but you know, things have work out that way. So, Halloween. And before I get started, I just want to say thanks to everybody. Uh, I've had several reach out to me and DMs on Twitter and a couple other, you know, folks reach out to me and say, you know, hey, where's the podcast? You know, I miss it and all that stuff. It means a lot to me. And uh had a conversation with a fan. I don't want to call him a fan, a friend yesterday. And she was the same way. She was like, you know, you need to do more podcasts. So I need to. And the reason I quit doing them was simply because when I got to listen to them, they were starting, the quality was down so much. I was like, man, this stuff sucks. You, you've got to have your stuff together and you got to have your head together to uh, do these because you guys are taking time out of your day to listen to them. I want to make sure they're good. And if it's something I don't want to listen to, it's not going to be something I put out there. So I can't guarantee a podcast every week, but I can guarantee a podcast every couple of weeks. And thanks to all of you who listen and who DM me on Twitter and on Facebook and those of you who I really know good that text me and call me or whatever for staying with it and helping me stay focused and on point with these things. And it does mean a lot when people say, hey, I missed the podcast. It's really cool. Uh, If you go back to the original run of interesting stuff, which was on Podbean, they were a lot more historical in nature. I focused a lot on history. The name of the podcast, Interesting Stuff, means I wanted to keep it that way because that means I can delve into anything I find interesting. And to me, it keeps it from getting so boring and so monotonous, although I did go on you know, about a year run where all I did was wrestling podcasts. I love wrestling. Sorry, guys. But I need to delve into other stuff as well. And I'm still going to do some wrestling podcasts. I'm still going to do some baseball stuff. And I'm going to do ghost stuff and historical stuff and all that. And as long as you guys keep listening, I'm going to keep putting them out. So I want to thank all of you for your patience and, you know, your support, all that stuff. This stuff is fun. I enjoy it. I've never been trained on it. I just got a wild hair one day and decided I'd start a podcast. And to have people listen and be interested in it and you know, critique it and all that stuff, it it does mean a lot. So thank you to each and every one of you. All that being said, You know, it's Halloween. It's the scary season. It's when, you know, people want to be scared. So what's the best way to get scared? Well, there's a lot of ways to get scared. You can get scared in a fun way. I'm not talking about a bad way. I'm talking about a fun way. You know, I remember being a kid. The fun was getting in a costume and going out and getting candy and watching, you know, Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin special because back then TV played some cool stuff, unlike now for the most part. And uh, as you get older, <clears throat> your tastes start to evolve, and things that used to scare you don't, and new things come into play that do scare you. Uh, for movies and stuff, for me, it's always going to be the Evil Dead series. I love them. It's comedy, it's horror, it's mixed together very well, great storyline. So I will be watching one of those on Halloween. I don't know which one yet. I usually watch one of the original three. I don't consider the one that came out back in, what was it, 210 or 213, 211, whatever it was. I don't count those because, you know, they completely change storyline. And you guys who listen to it know how I feel about reboots and all that shit. They just don't work, especially for a classic, because you're taking away everything that made it a classic to begin with. So, all that being said, you miss, or when you think about this time of year, You think about getting scared in a good way. What are the ways you think about getting scared? Well, I'm going to watch a scare movie. or I'm going to, you know, surprise somebody and scare them. You know, blah, 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 and all that. Do not do me like I see these people do on Facebook and TikTok. Where they jump out and they do that. Because if you do, I'm probably going to shoot you. Just giving you a heads up. You're probably going to get led. And I won't mean to, but you brought it on yourself because you freaking tried to scare me. You know, jumping out and all that crazy stuff. But movies do it a lot of people this time of year when everybody whether you're an experienced one or a novice want to all of a sudden go ghost hunting now I've I'm not going to cover the ghost hunting in particular in depth on this podcast I've done other podcasts that covered what equipment to bring safety precautions all that stuff go back through their archive you can find you know some podcasts that cover all that the way that I do it just remember when you're going out there you want fact Irrefutable fact, and you want to be safe. Those are the two big things. Be safe. Make sure that the evidence that you gather is irrefutable fact. Or at least very, very convincing, you know, to where it could be an irrefutable fact. Yeah, I see some of the evidence that some of these people turn in, you know, on YouTube videos and stuff. I'm watching, I'm like, man, this is bullshit. Bullshit. You know, absolutely. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily lying to you. It just means that they saw or heard something and they're convinced that that's what it is. You've got to be a skeptic going into an investigation. If you're not a skeptic, then you're going to take everything you get at face value. Prime example of, you know, why not to do that? I had a ghost box. For those of you who don't know what a ghost box is, basically it's a... Device that scans through a bunch of different radio frequencies. And the hypothesis behind it is ghosts use white noise to talk. They talk on different frequencies than we do. So by cycling through, the ghost can use the noise to create sound. In in other words, speak to you. I've seen them work really good. I've also literally had one. For those of you in St. Louis, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Uh, I was in Pocahontas, Arkansas. I had a ghost box out. It was a clear night. I'm sitting there scanning through channels, and it picks up something. I'm like, "Oh boy, I got something here! I got something here!" Because couldn't really hear it. And then it hit a channel where it was pretty clear, and it said KMOX Radio. And I, and it was the same thing going through, which should have been a dead giveaway. But it's the same basic, you know, uh, pattern going through until you know it hit the KMOX. I never lost sound, anything. I just couldn't understand it until it got to that one channel and said KMOX. So, had I cut it off before that, I would have thought, man, I got me an EVP here. No, what I had was my ghost box was picking up KMOX radio out of St. Louis, Missouri. So, there. You've got to pay close attention to it. You're only as credible as your evidence is. Make sure that you and your evidence are credible. Be safe and have fun. Just have fun doing it. Uh... You all know I'm a very firm believer in all that stuff. I've, you know, told a lot of stories on this incarnation of the podcast and the last one about, and the last one was also called Interesting Stuff. You can find it on Podbean. But I've talked a lot about ghosts and everything else, and I've told so many stories over the years. I'm trying to remember. I should have done some more research and delved into the archive myself because I'm trying to remember what stories I have told on here and what stories I've not told on here. I don't give away locations a lot. You know, if it's like, you know, uh, a big, well-known thing like, I don't know, Shiloh Civil War Battlefield or something like that, I'll say the name. But to most of the places I do, I don't tend to give out information because you don't want a bunch of people going up there and trespassing on land and doing stupid stuff and doing damage and all that. And unfortunately... A lot of the people that go out to quote-unquote ghost hunt also tend to do some other stuff that they should not be doing at those sites. There's a big cemetery up in North Birmingham that uh, I love going to. I've gotten some of the best EVPs I've ever gotten in my life out of this place. And it's got a really cool backstory to it, too. And I don't want to delve too much into any of that because, you know, I don't want people to figure it out, I've got permission from the property owner to go out there anytime I want I don't want a bunch of people quite selfishly going out there and screwing up my investigation or doing what this other guy did who stumbled on it and had his facts completely wrong and told some stories about some people who died out there that were completely false I mean this dude literally made up this story about this quote unquote lady who died out there, or who was buried out there saying that, you know, she was hit by a car and all this other stuff. Well, that lady's family contacted the cemetery because he rode video the whole time he's out there, pointing at headstones, doing all this stuff. And uh, one of the lady's relatives happened to come across it on YouTube and uh, called the owner of the cemetery and told her, hey, man, that lady didn't die till she was 86. So, no, this is a completely false story, and we don't appreciate it. Now, was he doing it deliberately? And watching the video, because the lady who owns Cemetery sent it to me, and she was like, I want you to tell me what you think. Was this guy deliberately trying to do stuff, or was he just, you know, telling stories and mixing them up? And, yes, there was a huge difference between, you know, how old he said the lady who got hit by the car was and what her tombstone read. But I honestly do think that in his mind... He was relaying a true story and maybe he thought that the story as he'd, ho- as he'd heard it wasn't 100% accurate. But it was accurate enough that he could go ahead and tell it. Maybe he thought instead of the story where the story said that maybe she died at 20, really she died at 86 or whatever. But you know it didn't really take away from the story. Her age was older, but it didn't really take away from the story too much. Anyways, you know that kind of stuff does a lot of damage. Because you go out there. Here's the thing. We are all going to be in a cemetery one day. Every one of us. Everyone who's listening to this podcast now. I don't care if it's in the year 2021. If it's tomorrow. You know. Which would be October 24th, 2021. Or if it's 100 years from now. October 24th. uh, I'm not good at math. uh, 30-21. Or not 30-21. That's a a damn thousand years. Whatever the... heck it is. I guess 21 20, 21 21. There we go. Um you're all going to wind up in a grave. They, when you're born it's you, you're on a one-way trip to the grave. When we go and when you pass on, you don't want people going out there making up stories about you and your family members and all that stuff. You don't want them damaging your headstone. You don't want them you just want them to be left alone. You want the respect. Because that's it. That's the last mark you're going to leave in this world, man. Is going to be that tombstone. Yeah, you're going to have kids. Maybe you got a business that's going all that stuff, and you'll be remembered for it. But that tombstone and that little six-by-six six plot of land, that's it for you. That is your last marker. That's your last, you know, thing. That's what's going to identify where you're at, where the end of your journey was for eternity, right there. And we all know it rarely lasts eternity. You know, if you go back, how many graves are there out there that are still marked that are over 2,000 years old? Can you name one? Not very many. But hypo- hypothetically, that is going to be the last mark that you leave on this earth. And you got to be respectful of it. That includes not only not damaging the grave and doing all that stuff, but not making up stories and telling them on these people. You know, uh, like I said, I don't think that dude was causing any, meant to cause any harm, but he did two things he should not have done. Number one, he announced where he was. Number two, he made up stories. Oh, three things, actually. Number three, he didn't have authorization to go out there and do any of this. You know, and I've done it before. You go to a cemetery, that's kind of, you know, that's public domain. I can go out in any cemetery, you know, and I can film and do all that stuff as long as I'm out there. During normal business hours, I'm good. And he was out there during normal business hours. But, again, if I'm going to do an investigation or something like that, I like to ask. And I like to get permission. And let's be honest, most cemeteries, they don't have ghosts in them. Most cemeteries do not become haunted, in my opinion, and from my experience until they're in disrepair. When they start hitting that point of disrepair, you'll start getting some activity out there. But as long as the cemetery and the graves are pretty well maintained, rarely do you have ghosts in the cemetery. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you legit heard of a honest-to-goodness haunted cemetery? There's a lot fewer of those than there are haunted houses out there. A lot fewer. And I'm not really sure why that is. I don't think anybody does. When it comes to doing this, it's kind of like archaeology, anthropology. Being a historian, you never say it's this way because this. You say, to the best of our knowledge, this is why things are like this. Because this is an ever-growing, like those other fields, this is an ever-growing field of study. And we don't have all the answers yet. So for you to try to confine it into a box, that's just appealing to your own ego. The best as we know it. Leaves it open so we can add to it or take away from it or completely dismiss your hypothesis. That's not an insult. If you come up with a hypothesis on this, and you're proven wrong, proven wrong, dead wrong, no way you can be right. Well, you know what that means? I mean, somebody went out there and did more research, probably because of your hypothesis, and eventually found the truth. So you still played a part in finding the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. So... Anyway, people want to go out and they want to do this stuff and, you know, find ghosts and do all this and get scared. It's our time of year. Cigarettes start to go out. So we're talking about ghost stories. And I'm trying to remember, ordinarily I would have a million of these dang things saved up in my head, but I'm trying to think of one I haven't told on this show before. And there's not a lot of them, to be honest with you, that I haven't told on this show. I've gone over a lot of them. I wish I would have taken the time to go back and listen, you know, so that I would know, definitely, yes, I have told this story, or definitely, no, I have not told this story. Uh, You know, thinking about all this stuff, it just reminds me of other stories that of, you know, stories that I've told on this show before, and I'm starting to ramble, and I don't like doing that. Okay, rambling's over, you know, getting my thoughts cleared up and all that stuff. One of the first ghost stories I heard when I moved to Birmingham years ago was a story about Emma H- Emma Hawes and her daughters May and Irene, who were killed in December 1888. They are killed by Richard Hawes, who was, you know, the husband, the father, and a railroad engineer. He had an affair going, and uh, killed his wife, killed his two daughters. May's body was found in what is East Lake. Now, East Lake was a very fashionable area back in the day. It's a big lake. It's on the east side of the town. It's called East Lake. Uh, all that stuff. Birmingham's history is hard to explain, so I'm just going to give you the bare bones. Uh, May's body was discovered in East Lake. The bodies of her mother and her sister were found in a body of water that is now Highland Park. That area was called Lakeview, it still is. The thing about it is, you can, when you go out there, and I've been out there, it's a rough neighborhood, man. Rough neighborhood. So if you are an investigator and you're thinking about going out there, dude, I would not go out there if I were an investigator. That neighborhood has turned so bad you've got a really good chance something bad happening to you. But if you do decide to go out there, don't go out there by yourself. Definitely let people know where you're going. Be smart. Be smart. Don't go out there. That being said, I have been out there and I've never, it's like I said, it's in a bad area now and the lake gets a lot of traffic. If you know what I mean, gets a lot of traffic from people that are dealing drugs, gets a lot of traffic from, you know, uh, people, ladies who work at night, we'll just put it like that. It's a good quiet area. It's open 24 seven. Technically you can drive through there. And the police don't do a lot of patrols. So, it, it's one of those kind of places in a bad neighborhood. I remember hearing about it. And I remember hearing about, you know, what people say. Uh, May's ghost haunts the lake still. People have seen her ghost appear and slip into the lake. They've seen her petting geese. Heard her calling for a mother and her sister. And, uh, you know, it's it's nothing's... To me, more heartbreaking than a child getting killed to begin with. Her father, like said, uh, had a girlfriend, didn't want his family anymore. He's a railroad engineer, so he killed his family, and you know went with this new lady, married her, and they caught him on a train in Mississippi, and he was later sentenced and uh, executed for the crime, the the crimes that he committed, and I'm very glad he did that. But I've never, like said, seen personally or heard this ghost. I did have somebody who worked for me one time and who grew up in the East Lake neighborhood back when it was a good neighborhood who told me that, you know, when he was little, probably about 10 or 12, early one morning, he was out there doing a paper route and he had to ride by the lake, you know, to get... Because the lake at that point in time had a lot more houses and was a much bigger community than it is now. And he told me one time when he was going through there as a kid that he thought he saw her, you know, just like standing right on the edge of the lake. Not on land, but like right in the edge of the lake, like right before you got to land, just standing there, you know, watching, looking at him. And it scared the hell of him. I've heard other people tell stories about, You know, I heard one guy tell a story, and this is the most incredulous story I've ever heard, so I don't know if it's true or not. The person who told me the story is an honest person, but, you know, I don't know the whole circumstances behind it, but he said one night when he was out there, and he was, he retired not too long ago, but he was a police officer in Birmingham for a long time, very credible man, but he said one time when he was out there, you know, he pulled into the park to do his paperwork, and he saw... What he assumed was her after, you know, he had told somebody coming up out of the water, you know, right in the middle of the lake, just, you know, popping up. And uh he said he took off and he didn't bother to investigate because what he was seeing could not happen. So you get stuff like that. It's really sad story. Like I said, I've been out there and I've tried to investigate, but I ain't never found nothing. Um it's just sad. Anytime you have something like that go on, especially with a child, under situations like that, it's... I don't see how you could kill a kid. I just don't get it. Even if you wanted to, uh, you know, remarry and go somewhere else, be with somebody else, then... Why not get a divorce? I just... I don't comprehend it. I'll never understand it. But, you know, I've never talked to anybody who's talked to her or anything, but I've talked to several who have seen her either coming up out of the water or in the water. I've never talked to somebody who saw her petting. But you just think about it. This kid, this child, you know, her last image was her dad killing her. And now she's trapped in a world. She's obviously an... Inte- and that's the... You've got intelligent... Hauntings and residual. There's other categories you can break it down into, but two basics are residual and intelligent. Residual is something that keeps playing something over and over. It's like a loop. Intelligent ones can communicate. They can recognize that you're there. If they can recognize you're there, then they can recognize that there's changed scenery around them. So can you picture this poor child? Last images she had were of her father killing her and putting her in a lake. That lake over the past hundred years and the area around it has changed so much. She's literally seen the world pass by and the only thing she wants is her mother and her sister. And she has no idea where they're at. It's one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard in my life. And every time I think about it, it just makes me very sad. And when I do go out to the lake, a lot of times I've Bring a flower or a toy, and I'll toss it in the lake. You know, just hoping that, you know, maybe that that'll help her go to rest or make her feel better or something. You know, the problem with intelligent hauntings is they can think, they can still, you know, recognize things and all that stuff, and especially with the child being dead. With all the changes that have gone on, I wouldn't recommend trying to make direct contact because who knows what state of mind that kid's in now. And we don't really know the extent of the powers that a quote-unquote ghost has. You've got the way hauntings usually work, which is, you know, they can't do this and they can't do that. You know, like a ghost can't really hurt you. They can scare you enough to church yourself, but they can't really hurt you. And a ghost can't possess you, you know, any of that stuff. You know, But you also have plenty of examples where a ghost breaks those rules. And to me, a child that's been dead for over 100 years, dying the way that she died, if she thought you were a threat, something bad could happen to you. Maybe that's why the neighborhood went downhill. Who knows? Maybe the negative energy that she spews out is what caused that neighborhood to go down. We'll ne- we don't know. We'll never know. When you go out to that lake, though, there is a... I can tell you from 1st experience, it doesn't matter what time of day you go out there. It's got a heavy feel to it, man. It really does. And it's not just because of the neighborhood it's in and the setting anymore. It's you just something more to it, you know, that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. And if you have to go out there at night, you know, it really feels uncomfortable. It really does. <clears throat> so... I always say a little prayer for her, though, and, you know, hopefully now you guys will too. Hopefully, now that you guys know about her and know that she's out there, you know, maybe you can say a, a prayer for her, Mary, and her sister, you know. Maybe you can. I hope you can. May. May. I said, May. I hope you can say a prayer for Emma, Hawes, and May and Irene, all three of whom were killed in 1888, and two of them are at rest, as far as anybody knows, Emma and Irene. But May, the little girl in the lake, she's still, still there. I haven't heard anybody mention her in a while. You know, the last person I talked to that saw it would have been, you know, probably a that cop, and his run-in with her, that particular run-in with her, he's seen other things out there that he attributes to her, but the incident that he described to me was probably a good 15 years ago. I haven't talked to anybody since who's had a run-in with her. Maybe she's found peace, I hope so. You just, you never know. You really don't. Then I, you know, we'll shift gears and go to another part of Birmingham. Uh, Lawson State Community College. It was the first black institute of higher learning in the state of Alabama, and uh, rumor has it, like a lot of stuff in Birmingham, in Birmingham, in Jefferson County, there are a good five to six hundred cemeteries. Out of those cemeteries, there's a good twenty to sixty that no one knows where the hell they're at. You know, there's some under parking lots. You know, like uh, Legion Field was on top is built on top of a the parking lot for Legion Field built on top of a cemetery for you know at least three 400 people from uh, the early settlers of Birmingham uh, I've actually had that account before too and let me tell you at, at night that area can get kind of creepy too and I, that was before I even knew about this but you got the botanical gardens and the zoo in Birmingham also built on top of a cemetery. Uh, you've got a road. I'm not gonna name the road. It's on the north side of town. Well, north. Let's say northwest side of town. And that road cuts right through a cemetery. It was built on top of some um, graves. Literally, you've got tombstones a foot away from the street. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. I had a buddy down here a while back last year, as a matter of fact. Old army buddy of mine came down. So I took him, you know, to some places of interest like that cemetery in Birmingham, a couple of other places in Birmingham, went down to Anniston, the old Fort McClellan, I took him around a couple of other places, and he was sitting there going, you guys will put a grave anywhere because there are some really weird graves down here. You've got graves that roads are built around. You've got graves and medians uh, of roads. You've got, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you bring somebody down here and you show them some of the stuff, they're like, wow, this is just the weirdest thing. But, you know, like I said, the botanical gardens, I had that account at one point in time. uh, We augmented the uh, city security officers that, you know, watched it at night. And uh, when they would have a call off, I'd send a guard out there. It's how that worked. And, you know, I had a lot of them that did not particularly care for it out there. You know, so they saw stuff and everything. I never saw anything out at the Botanical Gardens. Never saw anything at Legion Field. Never saw anything at the lake. Uh, but, you know, definitely some weird feelings. Uh, but, anyways, getting back to Lawson State Community College. I worked out there for a while. And uh, in Alabama, every institute of higher learning has its own police department. It can't just be a safety security department. It has to be, if it's state or federal funded, it has got to be a police department full-fledged police, you've got statewide authority, statewide jurisdiction in crimes that happen on campus. So I'm working out Lawson State with, uh, in the way we worked it back then, I don't know how they work it now, but we had three campuses. We had East Campus, West Campus, which were right across the street from each other, and then we had the Bessemer Campus, which used to be the old Bessemer Tech. And it had an officer out there, and we would have, you know, on a weekend or uh, night shift, which what I usually worked. We had, you know, an officer on East Campus, officer on West Campus, and an officer at Lawson State. The way it worked usually was you had one police officer and, you know, either a state security officer or a contract security officer working, you know, at all times. So, like, say, Bessemer at the Birmingham campus, you always had either a state guard and a contract guard Or more likely than not, you would have a police officer and a contract guard. And then your state guard or another police officer would be over at the uh, Bessemer campus. You know, or sometimes contract guard, depending on how it went. But you always had one officer that was on duty, one police officer, and then a state and contract. You know, that's just how we worked it out there. So I'm working one night. And, uh, there was a couple of us out there that night and, uh, good, still a good friend of mine to this day. Nate was working, uh, East campus and I'm working West campus. And it was the easiest gig in the world, man. I mean, you're overpaid security guard. You go out there, you lock doors, you make sure the doors are locked and all that stuff. And then in the morning working night shift. Well, if you came on night shift, we didn't have to do any lockdowns usually, unless somebody was staying over, you know, and then we'd have to go lock it up. But in the mornings we'd have to do the unlocks, you know, where you go and you open up all the buildings so that, you know, first shift and the teachers can get in there first, and then the students come in later. So it's easy, man, easy gig. <clears throat> so you're sitting there, and uh, you know the rest of the night you're not really doing anything, you're playing video games, shit. It was really cool, easy gig, got paid good money to do nothing, and uh, so I'm on West Campus, I'm doing my lockup. Uh, the Gadsden Building, it's like the big building on West Campus. West Campus is the old campus. It's where it all started. So I'm over there on West Campus, and I'm locking up the Gadsden Building. And uh, get done locking up. It's uh, what it's two stories, and it's pretty big. It's got a little amphitheater, or not amphitheater, but a theater in it. You know, for like plays and stuff like that. And then it's got you know the classrooms and everything else. It's got two stairwells. Uh, just you know. It's a big building. It's got computer lab, all that stuff in there. So I get done doing my lockdown, all that stuff, and set my code, you know, for the alarm. I come out, I walk over the patrol car, and I look up. I just happen to look up, and I see something in the window. It looks like somebody, but I can't make it out, you know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, well, somebody must have got locked in there. Not a big deal. It happens sometimes, you know, and they're probably at the window, you know, trying to wave at me to get me to unlock the door because I don't want to trip the alarm. So I'm like, all right, no big deal. Go back in the building. Undo the alarm. Walk upstairs. And I'm expecting, them because I've done it before, you know, and usually they're already at the front door by the time you walk back up and disarm it. They're like, oh, man, I'm so glad I caught you, blah, blah, blah. So when I go back in, nobody's there. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll walk upstairs. You know, because some of the professors, and they're not being dicks, but you know, they got work to do. So they're not going to leave their office. If they're in the middle of doing something, you know, they'll look out the window, hopefully get your attention, or they'll call the, you know, police officer on duty. And, Because uh, the way it worked was we ran the phone through the radio. So after, I think, 6 p.m., all the phone calls came through on the police radio. So all you had to do was hit pound and two... And you were, you were in, you could answer the phone. So we'd have a lot of them that would call and be like, Hey, you know, I heard, you know, the officer come in and, you know, lock up, you know, the body shop. I'm still in here. You know, can you guys come and unlock it or can I do you want me to call you when I get ready to leave? And we'd usually tell them, you know, just call us when you get ready to leave. We'll come unlock it for you or turn the alarm off for you. Okay, cool. Whatever. So I'm thinking, you know, it's not uncommon. They're busy, they're working, that he knew he got my attention. He knew I'd be coming back up there. So he's probably sitting at his desk waiting on me. And he's going to be like, hey, sorry about that. You know, whatever. So I walk back upstairs. And there's no lights, no nothing. I go to the computer lab, which is where I saw the person on the window at. And there's nothing there. Nothing. The room's black. Nobody's in there. I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. But, you know, light reflecting off window. You know, whatever. Go back downstairs. redo do the alarm and all that stuff get ready to get in the car and I see it again. And this time I see it move. So I'm like, okay, whoever's in there, maybe they're playing a prank. I'm not finding it funny. So I get on, you know, the radio and I call over to East campus and, uh, you know, I'm like, I need you to meet me over here and, uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, you know, I need to talk to you. I need to meet up with you. So Nate came in and we meet up and I said, look, there's somebody in that building I've seen them twice. I don't know if they're just trying to pull a joke on us. And it's around Halloween at this time. I'm like, I don't know if they're trying to pull a joke on me or if they're, like, legit not supposed to be in that building and they're waiting for us to leave before they steal stuff. So now it's like, cool, we'll go clear the building now. Now, building that big, you know, two people ain't enough to, to safely clear it. So what we did was, the way it worked, the doors leading to the outside or dog down, you know, they're not going to open, you know, and there's an alarm on them because when we got back in there, we, we reset the alarm. So we're like, all right, this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to take this stairwell over here. You're going to take that stairwell. We're going to clear the bottom floor together. And then, you know, I'm going to go in and clear the theater while he stands out in the main lobby so nobody can get past him. Then we'll meet upstairs in the middle. The alarms are on so that way if they do decide to bust out a fire door, well, we know what door they're going out. We know that they left the building. Maybe we can catch them or at least get them on film and get an ID on them. Not a big deal. So I go up one set of stairs. He goes up the other set of stairs, search the whole building. There's nothing there. I mean, absolutely nothing. And he's like, okay, well, there's nobody here. I'm like, yeah, there was. He's like, no, there's not. So he's fucking with me at this point. He's like, yeah, they got you scared by all the ghost stories. Well, like, man, I ain't fucking scared. You know, just. There was somebody in here. I'm telling you, I saw somebody in here. He's like, dude, ain't nobody in here. Your eye's playing tricks on you. You know, you all these guys telling you these buildings are haunted and all that. Because Nate had just started working there, too. He'd come over from Bessemer. He had been a sergeant with the Bessemer police. So he he's new. And we're just ragging each other. So we get downstairs, you know, set the alarm, or alarm's already set have to unset the alarms when we walk out, set the alarm again, close the door, make sure it's locked, walk out, and I'm leaned up against my patrol car, his back's to the building, and we're talking. We're, and by this point, he's he, had, he ain't ragging me no more. We're talking about like, you know, uh, I think we're talking about like video games or the Army, something about the Army, because he had been a warrant officer in the Army. And uh, talking about something, and I'm, I'm like, because Nate's taller than me, I'm like looking up at him and I can see something move by that window again. I'm like, dude, I, you know, don't turn around quick. Don't make any sudden moves, but just turn around real slow and look up there because you're going to see something. He's like, ah, oh, dude, whatever. He turns around and he saw something up there too. Now, as far as seeing something, I don't mean we saw a face or any of that, but you could see an outline in that window. Looked like a human silhouette. And at first, he's like, dude, that's just a branch of a tree. It's a shadow. And then the damn thing moved. At that point, Nate looked at me and he said, we got two options. We can call Birmingham police in here and get laughed at, or we can just let that motherfucker have the goddamn building. I said, you know what, dude? I'm all for letting him have the damn building. He said, all right, cool. You know, so needless to say, after that, he refused any time to come over and lock that building down. You know, he'd be like, I'll wait outside for you to get done, but I ain't going in that building. Every once in a while, I coax him into the lobby, you know, but for the most part, uh uh-uh. And it was weird because, you know, when I started doing research on it, because everybody told me that Lawson State had been built partially on an old cemetery. I didn't know if that was true or not. So you start researching a little bit. And yeah, it was built over an old black, part of it was built over an old black cemetery. So, yeah, I think you do have <clears throat> definitely the potential for a haunting going on in there, you know? Dang, sir, it keeps going out. I know it's haunted, as a matter of fact. I have no doubts. And, uh, you know, it was it was crazy. And there was other things that would happen up there from time to time. Like the uh, the actual... Oh, what was it? The Welcome Center now. Used to be the dean's office, and it was the house at one point in time for one of the deans. I can't remember how the story goes. But, you know, that house was strictly used for, like, admissions and shit now. You know, they did GD, you know, testing in the basement. And the upstairs was all offices for, I want to say, admissions. Been a while since I worked out there. But, anyways you go in there and you would, I mean, dude, I've been in that building and I know I'm by myself and I'm checking all the doors. And unfortunately, one of the doors you had to check was a basement door. You had to go through the damn house, go down in the basement to check this damn door. And I'm telling you, you'd be down there in that basement. You would hear footsteps above you, you know, walking around all that stuff. And you'd be like, damn it. Here we go again. First, you know, you don't know what to make of it, so you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go see who it is because my thing is always locked the building. I always locked the door I came in behind me because I didn't want nobody coming in behind me. You know, I'd walk around the exterior first, check all the doors. If they're locked, I would let myself in, lock the door behind me. That way I know there's nobody else in that building with me. No way they can get inside that building. So you're sitting there in that basement, and you're hearing footsteps, and you're checking, you know, the door. The door led to... uh a uh, little room with sump pump stuff because you know the basement, like a lot of basements, you know, would gather water. So you had to make sure that the pump was still plugged up and all that shit. It was just a check we had to do, and uh, a lot of a lot of guys didn't do it. You know, a lot of them didn't. A lot of a lot of you know us police and the guards and all that would not go down in there. I did simply because I didn't want to be the asshole who didn't check it and then come find out the whole damn thing flooded because, and it could be traced back to me because I didn't do my check. You know, so I'd check it and all that stuff. But, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting. You'd hear voices sometimes. And there's nothing worse than being in a basement in a house that you know is empty, in a house that you know has a reputation for being haunted, and you're hearing voices and footsteps above you. And you know damn good and well, when you get done and you go back upstairs, there's nobody up there. And there's no radio on, there's no TV on, there's nobody there. At that point in time, the school didn't have dorms on you know, campus. Now they've built them, but back then you didn't have dorms. When class was over, everybody friggin' left. So the only people left were the you know, officers that were left on shift. So you knew it wasn't you know, a worker or anything else, a student walking by, it was nothing you know, you're the only person on that side of campus and no one, you're definitely the only person in that building and you're hearing footsteps and you're hearing voices and you know when you go back upstairs, there's nothing. And I mean, sometimes you would hear mumbling and stuff up until you open the door that led to the upstairs. I mean, the second you open that door, it would stop. And now you've got to walk through this place, which, you know, the lights are off, you know, Except for a light here or there. You gotta walk through this damn house, you know, and get outside again. And man, I'm telling you, it it was it was nerve wracking sometimes. You know, just you'd be down there and you'd be like, Man, especially, especially on a night that it was storming. Oh my goodness. I hated it. I hated going down there when I knew it was storming. I would try to work East Campus. or West Campus, you know, and let the other officer work West Campus if I could do it. You know, if I was senior guy on shift, I was working East. You know, East had the cadaver lab for Christ's sake, but nothing ever happened on East Campus because it was the newer campus. The buildings were newer. There's nothing there. West Campus was the old one. And, you know, you had the old buildings built over the cemetery and all that crap. So if I was senior guy on shift, guess what? I ain't working. West Campus, I'm going to work east <clears throat> if you need me, call me, I'll cross the street come over here with the lights on but I'm not coming over here unless I have to you know if I wasn't senior guy then I would have to work West Campus and yeah, you know, I know I'm checking that building out and I know I'm not going to find anything but I know I'm going to hear stuff and people ask you know, why didn't you have one of the officers go one, the other officer go with you every once in a while on a rainy night especially, yeah I would do that Because, you know, and it just depended, you know, if anyone's been around something that's haunted, it's got ebbs and flows. It's got periods of high activity, periods of low activity, and periods of medium activity. And if I knew, you know, that it was cycling up and hitting a period of high activity, which it usually did if, you know, a thunderstorm came through, I'd try to get somebody to go into the house with me you know, to at least, you know, staying upstairs and, you know, just pretend like, hey, man, I'll do the downstairs and you do the upstairs because none of them will go down that basement. You know, like I said earlier, they did not want to go down there. But I had a 50-50 shot of saying, hey, man, would you come over and, like, you know, do the upstairs while I do the the downstairs? They know why I'm doing it, but they're not going to say much, really, because they know on their shift they're probably going to need me when they're working that campus to come over at some point and help them out. Or another officer to come help them out. Because they don't want to go through it themselves either. It was creepy, man. I mean, just really creepy. Um, Where the nursing thing was on that campus, it was right next to the Gadsden building. Every once in a while, you'd have stuff going on over there. Not very much. But every once in a while, you'd have, you know, the big one was you'd come in the main doors on the ground level. And you'd hear somebody running upstairs. I mean, flying. And uh, first couple of times, I mean, it was so realistic sounding. It sounded like you had just walked in and somebody's taken off. Because you know how it sounds when you've got footsteps on a, you know, hard floor and it's a big open area. was like crazy. You could hear it loud as day. And it would catch you off guard and you'd be like, who the hell's in here or whatever. You know, wouldn't be anybody in there. But that was the only thing that really happened there. Uh, the auto body shop, we never had any problems there. With uh our guard shack, we never had any problems there. Uh, with the uh, administration building that was on that campus, you know, for, uh you know, not the people that did the uh, uh, st- uh, st- uh, admissions and all that stuff, but for, like, the other admin people, the uh, groundskeepers, the janitor, you know, those people, you know, had their own building. The nurse was actually there, and uh, that was where she had her little, you know, <clears throat> two, three bed base set up and all that stuff. In that building, you really didn't have much going on either, <clears throat> surprisingly. But that Gadsden building and that, you know, uh, what was it? emissions uh, uh, building, those two were were active, like really active. And I've seen those firsthand. And, uh, you know, it, it would get to you, man. It really would, especially if you're working it by yourself. On the Bestmore campus where the old Bessemer Tech was, uh, that one got interesting because you were there by yourself. It was a school that Lawson State bought out, Bessemer Technical College. They bought it out and it became part of, you know, Lawson State. And that campus alone was bigger than the original campus of Lawson State. It had a lot of buildings. You know, the main building was friggin' monstrous. It was huge. And uh, then you had, you know, uh, what was it, one, two, like seven or eight other buildings on the campus and uh, a lake and all that stuff out there. That one really didn't get anything except in like the wood shop area or the building that had the wood shop in it, lights would come on and you'd go in, lock the building down, do all that stuff, leave. You'd be doing your patrol through there, you know, a couple hours later you'd see a light come on. It was usually the same light in the same, you know, room. You go back inside, turn it off by the time you're doing the next round. that damn light's back on. uh you also had in the main building years ago, when it was Best tech, you had a officer that had a heart attack and died in the security office there and I never saw this, but I talked to a lot of we had one officer I never will forget, and I can give his name up <clears throat> but this was a big dude, and he was a Birmingham cop. He worked this one as a side gig, and he wasn't scared of shit. And he worked out there one weekend by himself, and I relieved him. And when I came out there to relieve him, he told me point blank, he said, I will never work this campus again, ever. I'm not ever going to do it. they got to schedule me at East or West. I'm never coming here again. And I was like, dude, you know, it's like a mile from your actual house. You work by yourself. This is the place to go. Everybody wanted to work best more because you were completely by yourself. Everybody was gone from there about six. You'd lock everything up, and you were by you were alone. You know, by the time I you'd come in on third shift, there's nobody there. All you'd have to do in the morning is unlock the doors, and that's it. You know, uh, eleven yeah it was uh, eleven to seven, so you'd start your unlocks at 7 o'clock. Psh, you're out of there. Uh, you had a lieutenant that was based over there, and uh, he came in first thing in the morning, 7 o'clock, with the day shift officer. And, you know, you do your briefing It's at uh, 6.30, you know, do your roll call and tell, you know, lieutenant and uh, the officer that was coming on shift anything that had happened, which usually was nothing, you know, hand over your report, hand over your keys, and, uh, you know get in your car and go easy stuff man it was cakewalk post and you know i remember that cop telling me point blank i will never come over here again i've had other ones tell me that they were nervous working up there a lot of people didn't like to work the third shift over there a lot of people didn't everybody want to work like first or second shift over there but nobody wanted to really work third shift i loved it i never saw anything you know ever But like I said, wrapping back around, that one guard had died, had a heart attack there, and there were guards that saw him walk in the hallways. There was a clip of film that I saw that was really, really good. And uh, it was from the cameras for the uh, outside exit, you know, leading by the cafeteria. And you saw something is real it almost looked like a fog coming across the camera screen and it walked back and forth a little bit. And then it just went through the door and then it came back through the door and turned and went down the hallway. And by the time you look for, you know, the other camera to pick it up and see where it was, it was gone. That was really creepy. And I had the guy who recorded it said I was sitting right here looking at the camera and looking with my eyes I didn't see a damn thing with my eyes, but I saw that, and it walked right past the security office, and he said, when it did, it scared the hell out of me. And uh, he still worked there, but that one cop, like I said, I'm not going to say his name, but he wouldn't work over there. We finally got him to where he would work, like, you know, a first shift or second shift over there, but when the sun went down, if he worked second shift, he flat out tell you, I'm going to lock it all down before it gets dark and I'm going to sit in the patrol vehicle for the rest of the shift. I am not getting out. I am not doing anything in that building. I refuse to. So we made, you know, the best of what we had. And, uh, it was pretty cool. I liked working there. It was a good group of guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, anyways, I'm going to wrap this thing up. I hope you guys have had as much fun listening to this as I had making it. I really do like making these and I do miss it. And, uh, I'm going to be doing them more. Like I said, it probably won't be every week, but I'm going to be dropping them, you know, pretty consistently from here on out. Thanks to all of you. And, you know, I really do appreciate it. And I hope this meets your standards and your expectations. So, without any further ado, thank you for taking the time to invite me into your home. And uh, be smart, be safe, don't do stupid shit. I'll holler at you on the next one.